you know, society, they like the way this guy makes ice cream, but the other guy, they don't like his ice cream that much, and they don't buy it, so it uh, fades out. What's that? Supply and demand. Free enterprise. Competition. The profit bonus. Down on the economy, stupid. Where is it? From everywhere, everywhere. Hello and welcome to this very first episode of Everyday Economics, hosted by Justin LaRue, Lanny Zrill, and Grégoire Maillard. You are listening to your new favorite economic podcast, which from now on will be released weekly. In today's podcast, we're going first to talk about some news that we specifically selected for this episode. After that, we're going to talk about the main topic, which today is valuation. Also, in the following episodes, we're going to let you speak up. If you want to react about something we said, or if you want to talk about a specific topic, or if you have any question about the class, please send us a voice message on Instagram or by messenger or simply by email, and you may be in the next episode. So for this first news segment, I want to talk to you about something that is very topical that's happening right now, and it's also very dear to my heart because it has to do with the industry that I follow the most, the video games industry. As you may know, there is a fierce battle, legal battle, going on between Epic Games and Apple, and also with Google, over Fortnite. So Epic, Game, Epic Games is this, the company behind Fortnite. And But what's Fortnite again? Fortnite, do I really have to explain what Fortnite is? It's the most popular game video game ever. So, so that's literally all I know about the game, yes. is that it's the most popular video game ever. Otherwise, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Well, let me tell you, and I love video games, and I've played Fortnite, and I was bored out of my mind within seconds, okay? And I know it's not popular to say this, but I'm just going to narrow it down. It's one of these Battle Royale games where you have to, you start with 100 or so people, and the, the, the field narrows down over time, and whoever is, uh, is last to survive wins. But to me, it was just a game where you have a gun and you shoot people and you, you build staircases, and that's where they lost me, right? They are also very involved in many other things, but the reason that uh, they're in a battle with Apple is that they simply want to get around the fact that whenever they sell stuff through their store, through, through the game, and they, basically the in-app purchases, that Apple usually takes 30% of that. And then yeah, Epic Games is not in favor of that. So they said, no, we're not going to go through that and pay that 30%. To which Apple retaliated and said, well, you know, if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to play by the rules, we're going to cut you off from the Apple store. And it could have stopped here and it would have been fine. It would have been normal. But here's where it gets really dirty is that in addition to that, Apple is forcing Epic to, well, it's removing all of the, what's called the, the tools, the development tools that Epic is, uh, is putting out. So something that you may know or may not know is that what really makes Epic really big is not just Fortnite, it's actually that it, it is the company responsible for a video game making engine. So it's an Unreal engine that you may have heard about. You may have heard about Unreal, which is a game that came out in 1998 or may not. That's a long time ago. And uh, Yambon. <laughs> exactly. You were born in 1998, Greg. Okay, so this is <laughs> all right. So that was I was I was 20 back then. So I remember that. But if you heard of Gears of War, I mean, a lot of actually a lot of other developers use that that engine. In fact, even movies, movie producers. So if you've seen The Mandalorian, you know Baby Yoda. Well, there would be no Baby Yoda without Unreal Engine. A lot of special effects companies use that as well. So with if 
taking away the the support from the fact that uh, this is going to be that this engine will be supported is going to hurt Epic by much. So it's a very fierce legal battle going on, and it all started with somebody not wanting to pay their fees. Okay, so uh, I guess when you say pay their fees, uh, to me, I see this situation more as an issue of uh, a royalty, right? So, you know, Epic is selling products to their customers with the agreement that they can sell through Apple's platform uh, for, you know, you know, and Apple will receive 30% of whatever that is. Um, it doesn't, you know, on the face of it, feel to me the same way as an exchange of, you know, a service in re return for a particular, uh, a particular fee, like you mentioned. Um, you know, so for example, you know, it isn't like Epic Games is asking Apple to do a task for them uh, in return for, uh, you know, uh, uh, for some money. Right. So for like from for example, from Apple's perspective, you know, I, I imagine the marginal cost of, you know, Epic selling stuff through their platform is zero. Uh, and so ultimately, this is all gravy for Apple. It sure is. But that's the service that they're saying. Apple's retort is that we're offering visibility through the platform. And so this is a service we're giving you, you know, whether how much it costs to us, Apple says is irrelevant is really how much value it is to you. And one. Uh, one thing I'd like to say, Epic is also famous for, you know, in 2018, for coming out with the Epic Game Store on PC, mm -hmm. which has been rivaling the, the previous monopoly, which was Steam. And uh, for the same reason, Steam charges 30% to any game developer or any game publisher that uh, sells on its platform. And Epic says, well, you know what, we're not going to do 30%, we're going to do 12%. And so from Epic's point of view, you know, it's, it's part of their crusade against expensive, uh, like a cream, uh, what's the word in English? Cream? Oh, cream skimming, yeah. Cream skimming. So, so from, um, from Epic's point of view, it's part of their crusade against the, the cream skimming that a lot of platforms are, 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 are using. You know, they're just basically taking away a huge chunk of money for these developers. Okay. But, but I guess the problem here is, here is that, uh, so Apple and Google say that uh, they take 30% on every purchase because because they sell the service to put it in, in front uh, of the store. Mm -hmm. But the, the fact that, well, if the developers want to make available the product, they have to do that on the Apple Store and on the Google Store. And so even if they sell the service, they couldn't do anything without that service. So it becomes essential for them. Mm -hmm. But also it puts, the, it puts Apple and Google uh, on, a, on a monopoly position, which explains why they can charge so much, like 30% on the sale, but also that means there's a problem of fairness. And, and, and what Fortnite is trying to, to do right now is to find a new solution on the 30% on the rule. But also, the, like, Fortnite is also backed up by like, almost everyone, like by, by Microsoft, like, well, mm -hmm. for sure, but also by, um, by Spotify, by Tinder, and by many other big applications uh, in the industry. That's true. But, but so I, get, I mean, I think I, I know like, where Greg is going with that. So, you know, is there really any other alternative for Epic to distribute its product? I mean, I understand through, you know, an Apple phone, I mean, the Apple store, it's the... That's it. It's the god. Um, but, you know, with respect to a, a, an Android platform, for example... Well, so they have to go... For an Android platform, they have to go through Google, you know, so the Google to. Play Store. And so that's where Google is also taking the same stance as Apple. But right. for, for any, like for PC gaming, they have, Epic has its own store. Right, so they don't run into the same problem They don't, there. and what they sell, you know, for through consoles, you know, the PlayStation Store or whatever, 
Well, that's another thing. Right? PlayStation hasn't re responded to any of that yet, but they also charge 30%. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen? And so they, these other players are following really closely what's going to happen because it could set a precedent for all these other platforms, you know, the PlayStation Store or whatever. And so what's going to happen next? And so it, it could it could potentially go very high up. Uh, and who knows, you know, maybe to the Supreme Court and it could be a, a Biden appointed Supreme Court you know, or Supreme. You know, you never know. Right. So it's going to it's going to take a long time. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But it's uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, Interesting way, at least for me, to start getting into politics or to start getting into here or getting informed about politics because it's a topic that I think is fun. And so in the meantime, you know, this very popular game is unsupported on both of these platforms? So it, it's been withdrawn okay. from these uh, platforms. And, but the, the key thing, it's not just the game. That, what I'm saying is really this whole development yeah, tool yeah. because already just the uncertainty about whether these tools are going to be supported. What, what I mean by supported is that Epic is not going to be able to update these tools. Mm -hmm. So any game maker that wants to use this is going to be basically using the version from the day of when they when they stopped supporting it. You know, they can't all these any update will not happen. Right. Any bug fixes won't happen from that date onward on those on those uh, on those storefronts. And so what's going to happen is that what already is happening is that just the uncertainty of this. You already have developers who are who are running away from using the Unreal Engine, for oh, instance. Wow. Because, you know, I mean, game development takes years. It takes, you know, from two to five years or whatever, sometimes more. And so you don't want to be stuck with something that's not going to be supported in the long run. So it's very it's very important for Epic to win this thing. Wow. You know, it, could, it could really hit hard. And for us as consumers as well, because it's really going to slow down game development for a while. Well, and meanwhile, you know, Epic is probably bleeding out, uh, whereas this was cream for Apple and Google. I am sure the shareholders are not happy of losing the massive amount of revenue, uh -huh. right? But it's not their core uh, operation per se. That's true. In the way that, you know, for Epic, you know, developing games and supporting games. That's, and that's absolutely revenue. right. That's absolutely So, I mean, they really are, you know, taking a leadership role here and putting a lot at risk to go at these two, you know, giants uh, in this particular way. Yeah, and it's something that they've been... Um yeah, they've been pretty cocky, I would say, about this because they already had the way they did it was was pretty, pretty underhanded. I mean, they came out with this update recently, and they had this video called "1984 Night," where you have this. <laughs> uh, it's it's basically a parody video where you have this. Yeah, what huge, was it about? So, so yeah, you have this character that's basically a, it's a whole Big Brother thing with the, the apple for a head, and it's actually a parody of um, an advertisement that took place in 1984 where which Apple was making, and the big brother was actually IBM. Right. And so, you know, who knows? Maybe in 30 years, Epic will be the, the bad guy. And uh, you never know. But, I mean, it's, it was something that wasn't very, very classy, you could say, because they had, they had it prepared for a long time. I mean, it's something that they were already, it's a war they were willing to wage. Well, so I, it almost certainly has to be the case. You know, so as I was mentioning before, I mean, you know, this is going to take a big bite out of uh, Epic's core business, um, they must have been, you know, preparing the war chest in advance. Exactly. So, they, but but also like you, like you said, it, it, it's their core business. But also the fact that you know consoles are not affected yet, and the PC, and they have their own, they have their own secured territory in the PC gaming world. And so I think that's what allows them to right. to, to be a bit uh, a bit ballsy on the other side. Okay, and so for the next topic, I made a recap about the whole story with uh, USPS and uh, Donald Trump in the US right now. You mean the United States Postal Service? Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, on the 3rd of November this year, there will be the American presidential election. And as you may know, it will have, uh, for the following years, a big impact on the international economy, on Canada, and overall on almost everything. And as a Netflix show, uh, the US elections always have a new development. There's always a new breaking news going on. And lately, something happened. As you may know, there's a pandemic on Earth, and specifically in the US. And so people cannot just vote as they used to do. One of the solutions is to vote by mail which is a solution that already existed uh, in the past. Like in 2016, it was 21% of the people who voted by mail already. Wow. But President Trump thinks that uh, if, most, if people mostly vote by mail, then the people who are most likely to do that are people that vote uh, for Joe Biden, his opponent. Mm -hmm. And so one of the issues lately is that Donald Trump, uh, a few months ago, put one of his friends as the CEO of USPS, so the Postal Public Service in the US, and his friend uh, made huge uh, budget reduction by many means. And in the, in the end, there are many delays and the USPS is not as reliable as it was. And so Donald Trump used that to say that, uh, well, if the USPS is not, is not reliable anymore, and if your vote might not reach the election offices uh, on time, well, we cannot let people vote by mail. Yeah, all right. And that is a problem because uh, people who do not want to get the coronavirus uh, do not want to go in the, in the offices to vote. Uh, and so they cannot vote. And so in a way, it goes against democracy, and uh, which should be more or less an American value. And in the most recent news, uh, the Democrats, as an answer, uh, want to give to, to the USPS a $25 billion of dollars, uh, stimulus to the USPS. But Donald Trump is trying to, to block that budget. So basically, Trump creates the problem and then says there's a problem, so we have to and cancel then, the vote. So I, so I think this is an important thing um, to, to mention at this point, uh, because, you know, inevitably when we're talking about economics these days, we, we end up talking about the United States and Donald Trump. You know, there's uh, a narrative out there that, that Donald Trump is an idiot, uh, that he's not a smart person. But if you look at this strategy, you know, this is a very clever strategy that operates on, on many different levels, right? So it's a, it's a practical strategy for voter, voter suppression mm -hmm. by disabling the USPS in order to make it more difficult for people to vote. Uh, by mail. Uh, and by the way, you know, the Republican Party has a long history of uh, voter suppression, especially yep. in, in the United, in the southern United States. Mm -hmm. um, but as well, you know, there's, a, you know, quite um, a complicated uh, and effective social media strategy or media strategy that's trying to convince people uh, of, you know, this narrative, you know, the USPS is unreliable, you know, this wouldn't be a good way to have our election, don't we value democracy, we want this to be as accurate as possible, mm -hmm. when, you know, what's really behind this, of course, is the Republican Party, you know, you know, using this as a strategic tool in order to have an advantage uh, in the election. I'm not suggesting that the Democrats don't also look for ways to find strategic advantages, but, you know, it's well known, right, that the Republican Party, you know, benefits yep. from lower voter turnout. And so they try their best to keep voter turnout low and making it as easy as, you know, mailing in your ballot uh, definitely works against their interests. So I, I think that one thing I want, you know, I, I wanted to say in caution is, you know, don't get, you know, uh, lulled into this idea that Donald Trump is some moron who bumbles through life. You know, he, he the things he does have, have a point and mm -hmm. it's sometimes not easy to see what that point is. And, and maybe it's a good time also to mention that on this, you know, economics podcast, you know, this is the core belief of economics, which is that people do stuff for a reason. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that uh, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't uh, be tricked that this is some idiot. You know, this, this strategy is a very clever strategy and could be very effective if uh, they're able to go through with it. Now, of course, 
even here, we're bringing it to light a little bit, so hopefully it won't happen, but it is definitely something to be concerned about, I think. We'll see, and uh, I actually just yesterday requested my own mail-in ballot. You know, I actually am a U.S. citizen, oh, wow. and I vote in Florida, so I really want <laughs> my vote to get in there, so hopefully it will happen. Right, and so for those of you that don't know, uh, Florida is one of the very important states uh, when it comes to determining the outcome of the U.S. presidential election, and so... Uh, any uh, potential influence in Florida is, is potentially a, a big influence on the outcome of the election. I guess also one of the issue uh, as well is uh, if Donald Trump loses, uh, he may not want to resign and, uh, and stay in office by, by just saying, well, I've told you since the beginning, uh, the election is corrupted, uh, mail-in uh, bailout was a... Uh, well, he's been doing that for more than six months already, even before this whole USPS story. Like the fact that he's already basically... Uh, even four years ago. Yeah, well, he did that four years ago, but now in advance, he's kind of rejecting the outcome of, of the elections, you know, unless he wins, of course, mm -hmm. in which case he will not reject. It would be totally legitimate if he yeah, wins, yeah, but exactly. illegitimate if he doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, one other aspect of this, which I read about, which I thought was interesting, is trying to think more broadly of the role of the USPS and uh, just the, the overall cost of uh, disabling it in the way that has happened. So, you know, let's take the election out of it because I think that, you know, it's pretty clear that this is a sort of one-time strategic move, um, you know, as a result of trying to win this election this way or manipulate the election this way, let's say. Uh, they have reduced the services available to the USPS, and, and this is, a, you know, an essential service yep. for people who live in the United States. And so, you know, one of the obvious things is, of course, you know, it's a way that people communicate with each other. Um, and this is important, of course, but uh, it actually has a big effect on the economy as well because lots of businesses use the USPS to ship goods to their customers. And more and more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so uh, in this case, you know, not only is it having, you know, this potential voter suppression effect uh, and also this effect of, you know, making it more difficult for people to communicate, but it's having a direct effect on the economy, which is, you know, a really bizarre thing to do for a president who who claims to be, you know, really economy focused, you know, to um, to disable one of the core uh, methods for delivering your products uh, seems like a really strange thing to do. Unless, of course, the only thing you care about is keeping power, I suppose. Exactly. He's re-election focused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Also, uh, I guess downgrading the public services has USPS is pretty consistent with a Republican candidate. Like by just doing uh, budget reductions again and again, well, in the end, uh, you just have uh, low quality services for most of the public service. And so it gives them a justification to, to move to the private sector. That's very true. In fact, there was a, one of the arguments of, uh, of somebody from the Republican Party, I forgot who, was that, you know, it's not fair that people who live very, you know, in the rural area pay the same amount as people who live in the city. Look how much more it costs to deliver mail to them. I mean, that's the whole point. The whole point of this public service is that everybody pays the same amount, relatively low price. And if there is some cross-subsidization, you know, people who live in the cities, they pay maybe more than they, they would, and this is helps, helps make the bill, you know, a little lower for, for people who are in the rural area. That's, that's the whole point, is that everybody can get their mail. You know, if you have to be rich in the rural area to get mail, it's not going to work. Well, absolutely, and maybe this is a, a topic for another day, but, you know, this issue of cross-subsidization, um, you know, it's really present in a lot of uh, things that we enjoy. Uh, so, you know, for example, you know, where, where I came from, British Columbia, um, you know, the Greyhound bus service uh, was an important tool for um, getting around the province, going into some of the smaller communities. The trains are not well utilized uh, or exist that often in British Columbia, and so... 
the having access to a Greyhound bus was incredibly important for being able to access these small com communities. And kind of the way that Greyhound would work is that, you know, if you wanted to go from Vancouver to, let's say, uh, Kelowna, which might be, you know, a, a pretty popular thing to do. Kelowna is a beautiful city on the edge of a lake. Um, it's going to cost you, you know, a fair bit. Uh, it's a very popular route. At the same time, there will be a bus, you know, going to, uh, you know, Prince Rupert or Smithers or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Fort Nelson, you know, places that are less popular to go to. Uh, sorry, I apologize to anyone who's from there. Um, and uh, in this case, you can charge people more for the popular routes and use this to cross-subsidize the less popular routes. And the whole idea is that now you've created a network where you can actually get around the entire province. And so, you know, these examples of, you know, using more popular routes or, you know, certain aspects of a network to cross-subsidize the others is really essential for having the existence of these networks. And so, you know, if we wanted to charge people based on the cost of delivering mail to a rural community, well, they would say no. They'd find another means and the entire system would collapse. You'd no longer be able to send mail uh, from one major city to another. Exactly, and same with electricity. I mean, uh, Hydro-Quebec, you know, in the Quebec province of Quebec, you know, you, you pay the same amount regardless of where you live, right? There's this, this fixed grid. So I think, you know, this this issue with the USPS, you know, it, it uh, you know, I mean, voter suppression is an incredibly serious problem um, that, you know, is a threat to our democracy, um, but also the practical effect that it has on uh, the mail system in the United States uh, is a threat to people's way of life. And so it really, you know, in the mail seems like kind of a small thing to be worried about. But, you know, it's through these small things and that add up that, you know, we end up living in a world that we didn't really, you know, wouldn't have chosen to live in. So today's topic is about value. What do you mean by value? Exactly. What do we mean by value? Value means different things to different people. Value, is it a price? Is it a cost? Is it something else? So this is a segment where we talk about our own personal stories and... Uh, Greg, what's your story about value? My story about value? Well, yesterday uh, I, I thought a lot about that. Uh, I thought a lot about uh, how I value things uh, in my life. And it was pretty difficult. Uh, and suddenly uh, I thought about something I'm addicted to in my everyday life. Uh, my phone, my phone data. Uh, like uh, I'm pretty addicted to be uh, on Instagram, on Twitter. So you're hooked on uh, your phone all day long, basically. Uh, I'm I'm working on it. Okay, it's okay. Uh, me too. <laughs> but uh, I yeah, I wasn't judging. I was just asking. So this is this is it. This is the adduction. Yeah, I like to be uh, available on Messenger, on Snapchat, on every, everything. Do you have the uh, cell phone elbow that sometimes people have? You know, like tennis elbow, but cell phone elbow. That's a thing. In fact, I actually went for uh, to see a physio for cell phone elbow for <laughs> tennis elbow. It turns out it was a cell phone elbow, and I felt ridiculous because oh, I thought no. I was. Like, I went to the sports therapy thing, like thinking it was a sports <laughs> thing. It turns out it was just me being. Learning to, to, to text. Rehab. Exactly. <laughs> and, and yeah, so, so I thought about my valuation of my phone data, uh, which is pretty important to me. Uh, as you may heard, I'm French. So I grew up in France. And uh, when I started to have a phone, I always had uh, unlimited data for like $20 per month, mm -hmm. uh, which is way below my valuation of it. So the trade always took place. Like every month, I could spend $20 mm -hmm. to have the unlimited uh, access to everything uh, I like on my, on my phone. But when I arrived in Canada, uh, I discovered this so expensive, expensive price with Bell, Videotron, like the, the price of only one gigabyte 
is amazing. The so prices uh, are crazier. We're going to talk about <laughs> oligopoly at some point, and this is definitely yeah. going to come up. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and so I was pretty disparate. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think at that moment, my, my valuation of things really uh, appears. Like, uh, I was like, okay, for, uh, for every additional data, uh, how much are you willing to pay for it? And uh, I think it's way too much. <laughs> but also, there's like uh, w- when you arrive before the end of the month, but you consume all of your data. Uh, there's also like uh, a many additional fees I am willing to to spend for only like 20 minutes on Twitter, and and also that, that is so too much. So that's where the addiction really <laughs> kicks in. So what do you do when you go over? Uh, this happened to me this month. I ran out of data, <laughs> and I was in the middle of downloading a hockey podcast. And I get a text message from the company saying, "Well." If you want to continue downloading at high speed, you have to give us $15 right now. Or, you know, you can continue downloading it, but it's going to be very slow. And when they said very slow, they really meant very slow. So, you know, of course, I wanted my podcast right now. And Your so free podcast, right? My free because podcast. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the right then they're taking advantage of in that moment, you know, you're not only, you know, generally addicted to data, uh, but in that moment, you really want something. And they know that that's the time to get you. It's like a hold up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the circumstance for, you know, matters a lot, right? If this had happened in the middle of the night and it wasn't, you know, when I needed to listen to my podcast, uh, <laughs> my, you know, willingness to pay for that would have been very different. Yeah. So your value depends on not just on what you buy, but on at what time, right? On what the, what are mm-hmm. the circumstances? I think that's, that's kind of the lesson what you're saying is that it's not just I value data. I value this particular amount of data at this particular time also what this data represent to you it's like the, the comfort of having your podcast when you're in the bus or something exactly exactly more than only the the object you're actually buying is that where you listen oh no definitely not i when i, I when i walk i walk around and I listen to hockey podcasts there's no no shame in listening to hockey podcasts in the bath or anywhere else <laughs> or this podcast by the way <laughs> Again, you can tell us where you're listening to us. We'd be <laughs> happy to know. <laughs> but you, Lani, what is your story with valuation? So the way I always think about, uh, you know, the difficulty in understanding the concept of valuation is is because uh, so much of it is subjective. So one of the, the questions that I sometimes like to ask people when I talk about this stuff is, okay, think about the last concert that you went to. And so for me, uh, it was the band Tool. Uh, they're by far my favorite band. And... Uh, so, you know, if someone were to ask me, you know, how much do you like tool? Uh, it's very hard to describe that, uh, in words, you know, I mean, you can come up with lots of different adjectives that might describe it, you know, um, you know, I like them a lot. I, uh, you know, here are all the times I've seen them. I have seen them six or seven times, uh, live, I think. So there are different ways that we can think about putting, um, uh, or describing the extent to which, we like, you know, I like Tool, or you might like a, another band. Uh, but, you know, for economists, this is a big challenge because if you want to try to know how much someone likes something and they say, you know, I like it a lot, uh, that's not very specific. So um, for me, one of the things I find really fascinating is trying to think about, well, how do we get people to describe value in subjective value, like how much you like a band, in an objectively measurable way? And so one of the great tricks of economics. Uh, I think is amazing is, you know, not so much the concept of utility as much as, you know, the concept of willingness to pay, Mm -hmm. right? If I wanted to know how much, you know, or if someone wanted to know how much I liked tool, they could ask me, well, how much did you pay, uh, to go to that concert? How much would you, would you have been willing to pay? 
to go to that concert. And so, I, in fact, the last time I saw Tool, it was in Toronto. Uh, they hadn't scheduled uh, something in Montreal. And so I was faced with the decision of... A, you were living in Montreal at the time. I was living in Montreal at the time. This was just last fall. And so I thought, okay, I have to travel to Toronto. Uh, I have to find somewhere to stay. I have to buy the ticket, which was, you know, about $200 itself. And at that point, I had to think, okay, well, you know, do I really like tools so much that I'd be willing to pay $500 in order to see them? And, and the answer is, is yes. Again and again, I'd be willing to pay $500 to see them. Um, but, you know, for someone else, right, it might be less than that. And so, so in fact, you know, if you want to know how much someone else liked Tool, you could ask them, you know, how much would you be willing to pay? Would you be willing to pay $500? And maybe their answer would be different. That's true. It would be uh, different also. Yeah, I would not pay that. <laughs> Actually, uh, I thought you were going to go with uh, with an economics joke because the singer's name is Maynard. Is that? Yeah, Maynard. Some John Maynard Keynes or some. You can scratch this from the podcast if you want. It's a bad <laughs> economics joke. Absolutely. But uh, I like a perfect circle. I haven't listened to Tool that much. Oh, interesting. Like a perfect circle. But That's wild. So I don't like a perfect circle. Okay. I, I find. And what's the third project then? Uh, Pussifer. I think the what you bring about the valuation and you know it depends on a lot of things as well, right? It depends on your income. I'm assuming you know when you were well, maybe not because you like the band so much, but I'm assuming <laughs> when you were a poor student, you didn't weren't willing to pay so much for a concert. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have been willing to pay. But five. you didn't like them less. I didn't like them less, and maybe even more. In fact, so uh, it's uh, the valuation. Though, I mean, at least the willingness to pay. There's. There's how much you like something, but then there's all this other stuff that comes into play. You know, what's your, how much money you have, how much money you have right now. Maybe you're just cash strapped. Maybe you're actually rich, but you just don't have the, the, the money on hand. There's uh, other things going. going yeah, like in my, like what came in my mind was like for, for billionaires, like people who have like billion, billion of dollars, like $500 is nothing. And basically, like every choice in their life, like whatever they're buying, like whatever, how much data they're, they're consuming every month, but they don't care because they Yeah, like, but they're really happy. I don't know. <laughs> no. no, but, but like, the, the valuation for the thing is like so high that you can basically. They can be. I play the lottery. Like they won't. You do? I do. I do. I, I play the lottery because uh, I know the odds are against me and I know. You know, if I win a couple million, I'd be really happy. But also, to me, it's like, a, you know, the tirage moitié-moitié, this half and half thing. Because half of, half of the money you put in goes to the pot. Yeah, absolutely. And the other half goes to the government. So to me, like, I'm, I don't mind giving much, a little bit of money to because it's not completely mm -hmm. lost. It's a bit lost a little bit because <laughs> you don't know how the government manages this. But, but, it's but, a sort of taxes. Like. It's a sort of tax, but it's a taxes you're willing to... To mm -hmm. do it, but, but I find that this is funny because I'm not willing to, you know, I try to optimize my taxes to not pay too much. <laughs> you know, if I can have a tax break, I will use it. But on the other hand, you know, I will go for these hidden mm -hmm. taxes. So. What can be controversial with these lotteries uh, is that most of the people who play uh, these lotteries are low income people or middle income people. And so that's the people who should pay the less tax that actually pay uh, another tax. That's right. And there, and, and also, but, you know, they're, They're paying for something, and then there's a there's also this misconception of of probabilities. You know, you always think you you always lured towards the big amount, the big payout, even though the probability is really small. And we tend to you know, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, when we talk about <laughs> uncertainty and and decision making under uncertainty, is that we we tend to 
to exaggerate these small probabilities of, of that or even the same thing of having a car accident or whatever. Or actually this time, actually we downplay those probabilities. We actually usually are, are more risk-seeking than we should be. But anyway, that's probably for another day. Potentially, yeah. Looks like we'll have lots of good stuff to talk about when we get into risk. But, but you, Justin, what's, what's your story with valuation? Well, my story about valuation is uh, it's a lot less into actual economics in terms of markets. And uh, my story is about you know, what's called marginal valuation, is how much you value the next unit of something. And it's, it's a very personal story with, uh, with my son. You know, he's, uh, he's six right now. He likes, he likes to eat sausages. He doesn't like to eat his vegetables that much. And then he has a plate with both on them, and he'll start with the sausage. And then he'll say, oh, no, I don't want to eat the vegetables. And we're like, look. Start with the vegetables. You're more hungry. It's going to seem better to you. Start with that, and then you go with the the sausage, the stuff you like, you know. And that's actually it goes with this concept of marginal valuation. What I would do in class, which I don't do anymore, actually, I'm not going to do this semester because of uh, of the distance learning thing. Is I you know ask for a volunteer and and have them eat a whole bunch of Twix candy bars. You know, they'll eat, mm. eat one. And then I'll say, okay, that's nice. Why don't you have all these? And, you know, I show them maybe five or six or seven or 10 of them. And then, you know, you eat one, for each one that you eat, you go to the board and say how much you valued in dollars that experience uh, of, of eating that. And, and as you can imagine, this goes down, right? Uh, you, start, you like the first Twix candy bar and then it goes down and down and down and down. And then it can actually be negative. And then this is where you tell the student, why did you eat it? Because you know, you, you're less happy now than you were before. But, that's the same story with, uh, with whatever food you eat or whatever thing you buy. And uh, if, you, if you know you're going to have to do something, do it while it's, uh, you, you feel like doing it. And so start with eating your vegetables, Everyday Economics, the podcast that teaches you how to eat. Well, I think that this idea that context matters uh, is everywhere when we think about valuation. I, I remember a few years ago uh, listening to my sports radio station in the summertime where there's very rarely, I mean, there's no hockey typically. And so there's nothing to talk about and you get these very weird discussions. So one day they were talking about what's the best beer. And, and they didn't mean what is the best uh, like oh. company that makes oh, beer. The number, they meant yeah. what is the best uh, situation in which to enjoy a beer. And so they brought up some obvious ones, you know, after a round of golf, after a game of hockey, you know, on a patio in Montreal in the summertime, Right. Uh, and I started thinking, you know, what is the best beer I've ever had? Uh, the one that was most valuable to me. And so, in fact, a few years ago, I went hiking in a uh, provincial park in British Columbia on Salt Spring Island. And, you know, we were got carried away talking and we were way out at the other end of the park when it started to get dark. Before we knew it, we were stuck. We didn't couldn't see the trail anymore. Weren't even on the trail, it turned out. And so now we're alone in this park. In the dark, no way out. Uh, luckily, I had my cell phone and it had uh, service. And so I called uh, 911 and they connected us with search and rescue. And after a couple hours, someone came to get us. And after we got out of the park, the first thing we thought was, you know, could really go for a beer right about now. And I can tell you that was the most valuable beer of my life. The, the after getting rescued from the forest beer that sounds like uh, is definitely beer. the best one. And so if we bring it back to what we were talking about before... You know, I would have been willing to pay quite a lot for that beer after that experience than maybe, you know, a regular beer after I've already had a couple on a Friday afternoon. 
Yeah, I don't drink beer, but I can imagine that it was, would be this would be a very good beer. Like when you go and you do hot yoga or whatever, and then they give you an apple after that's the best apple ever. So. <laughs> yeah, sure. Every every week, every way, every time. There's a call. There's a call. There's a call for you. There's a call on the phone for you. Okay, so usually after that amazing jingle, we will let you speak up in that part of the emission. So if you have any question about something we said, or if you want to comment on any subject, or if you have a question about something in the class, well, you can react by sending us a message via the link uh, available in the description of this episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and see you next week. See you. <laughs> see you, Greg. Justin. Bye. So, Is it okay uh, to say that I didn't like Fortnite, do you think? The, the one thing I've learned from listening to lots of podcasts is anything that anyone's willing to send you an email about yeah. is, is good for a <laughs> podcast. Okay.